on this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group talks about the Steve Hackett Genesis Revisited concert in Collinswood, New Jersey. Lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this special concert series edition of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory and Paul Zotter as we review the Steve Hackett concert we just saw in Collinswood, New Jersey. That's going to be in stereo. We've got some, <laughs> <laughs> got some, some Woodford Reserve here. Uh, so yeah, we just uh, we just got to see Steve Hackett, Genesis Revisited. Um, I don't know what he's calling this one, the Seconds Out version. Indeed. So I was looking at the the playbill ah. for this, and I guess I hadn't realized that Steve is performing at the Scottish Rite tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday night. Indeed. But oh, I, wa- I want to say he's actually got two sort of tours simultaneous. The seconds out portion is a holdover, I think. Was it some COVID impact or something? I think it was. They were postponed shows. Mm-hmm. Or was it the other show that was postponed? Well, no, I, I, I don't know. But, no. but because I was looking at Setlist FM last night or yeah, the night before... England. Yeah. Was canceled and then restarted. Oh, okay. So the Seconds Out is the current tour and the Selling England show in Harrisburg and presumably the other shows here at mm-hmm. the Scottish Rite right. are the postponed ones. Cool. Whatever. Whatever the case may be. As we discussed in our preamble show, um, you know, I flew here into Philadelphia so that we could, I could, we could together see uh Seconds Out, which includes, obviously, uh, Supper's Ready, which I had never seen performed live. Ken, you had... Paul, had you? I have not. Okay. So so we did that. And I don't know that I have. Not, where, where, I think we saw I, the Apocalypse see, in 9-8 during the Invisible Touch tour. But didn't you see the musical box to it? I'm not so sure I did. Okay. Well, then... Anyway, okay, well, and we'll get there, but that was certainly worth the price of admission. Um, absolutely, oh, indeed, absolutely freaking loved it. But I was excited as we were sort of having our after concert snacks. I was looking at the little playbill that I, I kept just because it's got a nice picture of Steve on there, and lo and behold, there is hyperbole inside. And we all love hyperbole. Let's hear it. About the show. Now, there's a little fractured syntax here in this first paragraph, but let's just plow through it. Steve Hackett is renowned as an immensely talented and innovative rock musician. He was lead guitarist with Genesis as part of that produced acclaimed albums such as Selling England by the Pound, a favorite of John Lennon. Oh, 
With Genesis, Steve's guitar playing produced some of the most memorable moments from the sensitivity of his acoustic sound on Horizons and Blood on the Rooftops to the dramatic rock guitar solos of Firth of Fifth and Fountain of Samalsis. As he embarked on his solo career, he developed his exceptional range, pushing musical boundaries into exciting areas, exploring uncharted depths, and utilizing sounds and instruments from the four corners of the globe. Since 2013, with the reintroduction of his album Genesis Revisited, Steve Hackett has reignited the passion, drama, and sheer musical mastery with his highly acclaimed tours, which span not only the splendid years of Genesis and their classic lineup with Gabriel Collins, Banks, and Rutherford, but also a vast repertoire of his highly successful solo career. Ooh, pretty hyperbolic. That is pretty hyperbolic. I, I was not expecting that from the little, uh, right. the little playbill at the the Scottish Rite. So that was a total bonus. Nice. Um, so, just maybe initial thoughts about the show, gentlemen. I have to say, the one thing that I did not expect was to hear a lot of dual solo and saxophone. Right. Tonight. right, and it was remarkable. I was a little weirded out by Rob Townsend. Rob Townsend. So, in the first, in the first number that they played, which I believe was Clocks. Yes, yeah. yes. I don't know if you guys caught this, but he he had this sort of weird knee bounce bend body movement going. Hmm. That just weirded me out. It was just, I've never seen anyone move to music in that particular fashion before. I found it highly disconcerting. I was paying attention to him for the rest of the night, mm. and he did not do it. Well, he was he was playing, like, percussion. Yep. Was, and then right up to the, the moment when he had to jump on. Yeah. So maybe, and he was wearing the, the large saxophone. I don't know if that's an alto or what you call it. I don't um, think it was a baritone. Baritone. I don't think it was a baritone. Isn't the baritone like giant? Yeah. Like, was it, maybe it was a baritone. All right. Sorry. I'm going to go with tenor. Oh, um, it could be a tenor. Yes. But nonetheless, he was percussing with sticks on a pad while wearing the the sack. So maybe that was why he had those bizarre. No, no. It was he was standing up. He was he was in saxophone mode. And he was doing this weird thing where his knees would bow out and come back in. It was mm, okay. it was disconcerting. Okay. Uh, it was funny though. You talk about you know, oftentimes. May I rebut? I mean, please. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he, he he looks like a cyclist. He 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 he, he looks like some kind of athlete. I mean, and they're yeah, all up there in the years, but but he's like a, a pretty like athletic. Talented kind of individual, so he clearly he, he he's not coming off like an alien. I just wanted no to, no, okay, no okay. it's it's it, it had not, it was something I had never seen before, and it just the the motion of it just disconcerted me. It's just my own thing. It's funny that we waited four months to see the show, and this is what this is what we're going to start out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it was the very first song, and I'm like, what the fuck is that? We pay well, all this money. And- you fly to see us, and we. Steve, well, Steve had a little bounce, you know. His, his Steve, yeah, Steve did. His sneakers gave him that little that little bounce in I did like the sneakers. That was nice. I did like. I get myself distracted. So, Rob, obviously, utility player, 
did a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Had that little box where he was pulling all kinds of stuff in and out, and you mm-hmm. know, doing. And all I could think of was the, the line from the leafers of um, our boxes of noises. I was just like, yeah, this guy's got this whole box of everything. <clears throat> yes. So he was credited with saxophone, flute, brass, woodwind, keyboard, and percussion. I don't yeah. remember seeing any brass. Saxophone and woodwind. Right, right. Good point. Good, 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 good point. The saxophone. Do the pipes count as brass? Mm-hmm, maybe. I would think that they were flutes and woodwinds, but they could have been brass. I don't know. Um, they were delightful, though. They were delightful. I loved. I loved the pipes. So one before the show started, Ken sort of clued me in on something about the Steve Hackett sort of stage setup that. I wonder if I would have um, picked it up without you telling me, but in Steve Hackett land, if you're not doing anything, you're not on stage. Yeah. So people kind of float in and out (laughs) and, and poor Rob had to float in and out like three times on a song sometimes. Yeah. He, he and uh, Nad did most of the floating. Yeah. The, the other interesting thing is in our preamble, I wondered out loud how much sitting there would be. And I did not mean with the band when I asked that question. <laughs> but there was an awful lot of moving of chairs on stage there throughout was a, the whole performance. There was a lot of moving of chairs. It was interesting because Rob seemed to sit down whenever he needed to. Mm-hmm. But Steve Hackett and the bass player would sit down for songs, presumably, that were originally played when Genesis would sit their asses down. Is that, like what, it was, that. Is that what yes. it was? Yeah. Yeah, I believe that is the pattern here. Jonas, I feel like he was up and down a lot during... seemed like any time he had an intricate acoustic part sitting. Well, well, one notable exception that kind of blew me away was Jonas could have sat. At any given point. And, yeah. And the part of the play here is actually seeing this configuration of Steve Hackett play Selling England by the Pound. I was sitting right in front of Jonas for that. And and I remember him sitting for a good portion of that and doing everything. So it blew me away in Afterglow that he, he chose to do bass pedals, backing vocals, and bass all at the same time while standing. Hmm. And it did run through my mind that dude would have a much easier time sitting. But, I mean, it's but you get a tall guy like Mike Rutherford playing bass pedals, and he's just kind of moving his foot just just ever so subtly from one side to the other. Yeah. When Jonas plays those bass pedals, man, he's like digging in. He's like he's like jumping on the thing. Well, he moved during supper's ready. He moved his chair. He had one position for the beginning of the song. Then there was a part in the song where I think he was actually sitting on the drum riser, leaning up against the drum. Yeah, he did that several times. And then he moved the chair back to a different position for the Apocalypse in 9-8, because I guess he just was focused on that one bass pedal while he was playing the acoustic guitar, which was actually the, the, the most revealing part of the show, because for the first time ever, I've been able to follow along because I could see his foot wasn't that amazing? And I could see the pattern, which I never have been right, able to right. decipher before. And he didn't have the double neck. 
Like he, he right. just had a guitar. Yeah. And a bass pedal. Yeah. And it's I it's that E note, I presume. Yeah. yeah. Over and over again. And and, and, and yeah. he, he the guitar and the bass were unison, I think, up until like the last couple of hits. Yeah, until the until the sort of the guitar breaks up. Yeah. But yes, never before. It's one, two, three, one, two, one. I was like, wow, that's it. And I was like following along and I'm tapping and I'm counting. And I'm like, motherfucker, there it is. All <laughs> yeah, this time. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> yeah, some of those classic rhythms are so much easier to hear live or interpreted mm. than they are in the original recordings. I agree. So yeah, I saw Steve Hackett switch guitars once. Yes. It was he just swapped out one gold top Les Paul for another. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the stool made several appearances. So maybe the stool did make Maybe he couldn't bring as many guitars because they needed they need more room on the bus for stools. So it was funny. One of the things I was thinking about because in my mind I was sort of trying to compare and contrast with Genesis because in the preamble show we talked about you know, or at least we touched on ticket prices and things of that nature. Steve seems to run a fairly lean and efficient operation. Yes. Uh, which is, you know, it, it doesn't, I, I don't know, it's not quite as bombastic as Genesis does, but it also, I think, allows ample room for the music to do the things that it does. Yeah. Yeah. And just to say a little bit about the venue... I mean, I made the comment, but literally being at the Scottish Rite is like seeing, uh, it's basically like seeing a show at your church and mm -hmm. the snack bar is basically literally like it's a bunch of people behind this one screen with bottles of wine <laughs> and a keg of, of yingling. Mm -hmm. And can I just say as a total aside, we can get yingling in Texas now and it's a wonderful thing. That's great. That is fantastic. Sorry. That's okay. And then the snacks. I mean, basically, someone ran out to, to Costco. The, the Philadelphia Soft Pretzel Company <laughs> and, and bought a box of like 200 pretzels. And there it is. It is. It is. Do you remember, Paul, you, you and I went to the same church for a while. Do you remember the St. Jude's basement? They oh, yes. Events down of there. Of course exactly I did. Like exactly. That's what I felt like when I was standing in line for beer. I'm looking behind the thing and I'm just looking at the people back there and I'm like, this is just like church. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was a big fan before, but I may have a serious man crush on Craig Blundell at this oh, point. How can you not? He, he did his part just phenomenally. He's got the air of like an MMA fighter or somebody. He, he, comes, <laughs> he comes in for business, you know. Yeah, but I mean, he but he does it like perfectly. I think it's safe to assume, based on on what we see, that. Steve Hackett is his own music director, and I like Steve Hackett as a music director. Uh -huh. I here, here. like it a lot. Yeah. Um, I think he could sit Steve Howe down and oh have a big gosh. conversation about how to recreate these these classic prog tunes. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, just in term because we, again, in the preamble, we sort of touched on the fact that Steve you know, presents these things in sort of a, a straight fashion. But honest to God, it was so fucking enjoyable to to 
sit through this show and hear these tunes in a way that was recognizable. He did, you know, he took some some liberties, as you said, oh, yes. with the, the sax and the guitar doubling uh-huh. solos, and and you know some of the the parts would wind up in different places. And, yeah, and but it was still recognizable. They played at appropriate tempos. Yes. Ah, oh, it was delightful. The, there, there are a couple of things that. Uh, so, I felt like they started "Dance on a Volcano" ridiculously slow, and I think it's for effect. Do you mean squonk or "Dance on a Volcano"? No, no, no. "Dance on a Volcano" the, t- towards the end, right? Oh, see, the, I thought that was like kind of fast, but so well. So I felt like it started <laughs> slow. Yeah, yeah. And then when. And when, when it was like Roger King and Craig Blundell said, "Uh, uh-uh. uh, <laughs> we're going," and we're they going. and they brought it right back up to <laughs> to tempo. I I I think that Craig Blundell had the, the the most difficult job in in that band. What he has to what he has to accomplish. I think that you know Roger King is probably number two on that list, but hit but a lot of. A lot of that's not a lot like like a lot of his big melody carrying the band was handed off to um, Rob Townsend on on the saxophone, which I yeah. absolutely loved. There were parts that it was like it sounded like it was written for a saxophone. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's it's a good, solid, tight band, and Steve, mm. you know. I, I I was just I was delighted. My mind, as far as Craig's awesome role, was kind of blown because you have Phil. Phil does his thing. Phil gets out from behind the kit. Chester does his thing, and then you have other folks come along and kind of cover the both of them. Hmm. And that came up in the interviews with Nick, Nick Collins. All oh, right. Are you covering your dad? Are you covering Chester? Are you being yourself? And he, he did a amalgam of all that. And, and I, I, I feel that that's where Craig had to arrive. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, my feeling is that Craig was more true to studio Phil, but... I wish I knew. I'm sure there's a lot of pressure to be studio Phil when, yeah. you're, in, when you're in that role. But every once in a while, you hear something that Chester does and you go, oh... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we have to point out, not to not to bag on Nick, but the drums sounded good. Right, like, right, right. They, we, they, we, they weren't like pummeling me into submission. Yeah. Oh, 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 I complained during a discussion on King Crimson that the drums were 40% of the mix or whatnot. Yep. Uh, it was a normal kick drum. It was. Like, like... It sounded like a normal mix. It almost sounded like a, a, a CD in the car. It's like the, they, they didn't do the overcompensating for live. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. think I think the the mix overall was really good. If anything, there were a couple of spots where you couldn't hear Steve enough. Right. Which when was the last time you said that about a lead guitarist? Right. I liked that because <laughs> it was usually because they were featuring something else yeah. going on. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought the sound was. Really good, mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. good, and it got better as the night went on. Like there were at the beginning, I thought like the bass was a little muddy, yeah. and as the night went on, it really came out more. And and so I'm impressed that they didn't just jack up. There were a couple times when I was like, "Whoa, dude, just like lower the keys down just a hair." Um, <laughs> but they were featuring something. But but they yeah. usually were, yeah. And it was, um, you know, sometimes he would put in like a breathy 
sound, but it really complemented when you know the saxophone was playing the melody or something like that. It was really great. I think we're fans of theater music, Keswick Theater, Scottish Rite Theater, as opposed to stadium. For yeah. sure. Well, I mean, again, I go back to, obviously we have throughout our, our lives seen a lot of shows in arenas, and most of them sound pretty shitty, but I'll go back to the ELO show that I saw at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, and it sounded better than what we heard tonight. Well, how about... So, it's possible... How about the Royal Affair, where we saw three average-sounding productions, yeah. and then Yes came on like they had just tuned the room magically. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so we know we know it's possible, even in a, a yeah, center block Vegas hall. So we had seen, we saw the the seconds out. So the, sorry, Atlantic City. What am I? Yeah, talking Atlantic about? City. So, so Steve came out and did a very short set of solo stuff, including Clocks, Held in the Shadows, Every Day, The Devil's Cathedral, which is interesting, and ended up with Shadow of the Hierophant, and then came out and did the, the second set, which was most of Seconds Out, so Squonk, The Carpet Crawlers, Robbery, Assault, and Battery, which we will get to, Afterglow, Firth of Fifth, I Know What I Like in Your Wardrobe, <laughs> The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, The Musical Box, Supper's Ready, uh, The Cinema Show, and Isle of Plenty. And then, you know, when you're playing, <laughs> when you're playing Seconds Out, do you really need to go off stage and come back for an encore? I don't know. But they did, which was Dance on a Volcano, a drum solo, which we will talk about, mm. and Los Endos slogans and Los Endos. So just so everyone knows um, kind of what, what we saw there, now, Paul, in the in the preamble, you had called me out on robbery, assault, and battery specifically. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. On in, in all honesty, I thought it was. It's always interesting when you see a band like this. Some songs just translate wonderfully live, and some songs don't. And we've talked about this at length in in other episodes of the podcast. Owner of a Lonely Heart being a prime example. Ah, uh, yes. Most of the time that Yes performs that, it's not great. <laughs> um, when when Trevor performs it, it's pretty good. Right. Um, and honestly, the the House of Yes version uh, without Trevor, but with Billy Sherwood, uh, Billy Sherwood on guitar, yeah. actually is pretty spectacular. It is really good. Yeah. So I was I was maybe. I was surprised at how well Robbery, Assault, and Battery came off tonight. I thought musically... Oh, my God. It, it, was, it was more enjoyable than the original.
Nad. I thought Nad did a great job. And is it Nad or is it Nade? Oh. I've always thought it was Nad. I always thought it was Nad too, but I, when he introduced him, it was very quick and I didn't hear Nad, so I wondered if it was Nate. But anyway, um, he, he was really great. By contrast, I was, I thought that like the lamb lies down on Broadway tonight was a little lacking. It just didn't really grab me. But the one song that really shocked me with how freaking huge I felt that it was and it's a song that I love, so I shouldn't be surprised. But Firth of Fifth just slayed me tonight. Yes. Right? So I don't. I think you were the one that said you came around. Was it Firth or Fifth that you came around on? Yeah. From a Steve Hackett show, I think was what tonight was the night that the tumblers fell into place, as you like to say. Really. Uh, uh with Firth of Fifth. Um, you know, I've always kind of just been like indifferent to that song, and that was the song. Where like when he played that you know solo melody on yeah. the saxophone, I was just like, oh my god, that sounds like it was written for. I think he was on like a like a soprano sax or something, one of the the straight yeah. thin one. Sounded just so great, and then like yeah, and the and the way that they just kept building up the guitar solo and have a much greater appreciation for Steve Hackett's bending of the notes and his touch.
that was yeah yeah was it, pretty magical. I, I I was I was really surprised by that. Really? Yeah. Like I said, I love the song, but I, it just there was something I like. I was surprised. I'm like, this is so good. So you had mentioned Ned with the whimsy. Yeah. For robbery, assault, and battery, like he just was kind of standing there with his arms waving them back and forth. Like I thought he did a great job. Yeah. But it was at that part of the show when I thought, you know, I get that we're all here to see Steve Hackett, but. <laughs> you wanted that up front. He's the lead singer. It's like, weird having him sort of back why is he in the, the back? corner. Yeah. Like, he, he should have been where the saxophone player was. At least. At least. Like, switch places. At least he would be in the front of the stage, not in the back of the stage. And it just seems weird to me because there are only a couple of times where he would, like, take the mic on the stand and, like, you know, do like a rock star move or move around yeah. a little bit. Most of the time you just sat there and it was like... It, it was <sighs> very... The, the whole show in terms of that was extremely understated. Yeah. And so in the beginning, in the first set, when Ned was sitting in the back, I thought, oh, well, that's just because this is the Steve Hackett solo mm-hmm. section. But no, that's just where he was. That's his place. That's where he goes. It's where he goes. I mean, there were night. there were parts of the night when they had... A section of the song, Nad was singing, and they had those bright, they had like five bright yeah. white lights, and they're on keyboards, drums, Steve Hackett, sax, and bass. And, and sax, dude, the sax dude wasn't even on the stage. Yeah. And there's a bright light on his empty, empty spot, and Nad's singing behind him in the dark. I was like, what is going on? Well, I can add fuel to your fire. So, oh, good. <laughs> uh, I believe I went with uh, Dave Vanderhoof to see Selling England by the Pound, and Ken Fuller was also in the theater. And I, I, I splurged for good seats, but I was right in front of Jonas. Steve was off to my left, and there were times when Steve completely masked Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Just eclipsed him entirely? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Um, but uh, this is the tradition. It, it, it's how they established this lineup. It's been the way ever since, and it's not really negotiable now. And it, it works, which is just a little odd for me. It, it's so. it's unusual. It's not as bad. What was that one newish band that we saw where the singer was like on a box in the back of the stage? Do you guys remember that one? Tool? No, it wasn't Tool. It was someone much younger. Oh. Um, um, the Crogstock band that yeah. I introduced you guys to. Yeah. Uh, the Butterfly. Oh, band. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Siberian, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. yeah, they're actually they're actually incredibly talented, but yeah. that, that, that is a unique yeah. setup for the singer to be in back. And that's kind of a, a unique setup because the, no one's in the front. Like, you know, it's just like the center of the stage is just completely empty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, that they're, dude, they're, that dude's opening for Riverside in in their, uh, I think in their North American tour. The I can't really? think of the guy's name. Yeah, but, but yeah. So they only did the final verse of the musical box. How do you feel about that?
The musical box should be more than three minutes long, right? Yeah. I was okay with it because I was ready for supper's ready. Yeah, well, that's true. Ken, you yes. suggested that this might be the night for Afterglow. Did Afterglow do anything for you? <laughs> I, get, I gave you two thumbs up. I had a blast. I loved it. Um, I enjoyed... But was it, was it just in the moment, or...? I, I, I enjoyed the energy. I liked what Nad did with it. Um, I just found it so funny that Craig dropped a stick during Afterglow <laughs> with all of the athletic responsibility that he had in the one chill song. I, just, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> he, he, he threw it over his left shoulder. He just <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't picked up on that either. That's funny. <laughs> like, dude, whoa. Wondell takes Afterglow really seriously. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, it, 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 it's pretty good. Um, this is a good juncture for me to just throw in. Having seen Selling England, the Venn diagram of the show we saw tonight, Seconds Out, and Selling England, is quite overlapped. So I had already been blown away by their version of Firth of, of Fifth. I already knew that they, they took liberties with I Know What I Like in Your Wardrobe. Uh, um, uh, I Know What I Like does not need to be a 10-minute song. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. Um, uh, I had already seen Cinema Show and, and I Love Plenty. So I knew to expect these different levels of greatness. And I'm relishing in the fact that you've noticed Birth of Fifth and mm -hmm. this configuration. You've you've no, you've noticed what much of what it is that I like about yeah. Hackett's band. Um, <laughs> but can, can, can continue in, in sequential order, and we'll get to this the sticky points. Okay, so if we want to go sequential order, and we can touch this. So it started out with Squonk, which I just I'm I'm in love with the fact that Genesis named a song Squonk. First of all, it just mm -hmm. it's fun to say.
Gronk was maybe not the strongest beginning to all of this. Uh, it That was a song that didn't really excite me very much. I know it sort of has a place in the lore. I want to say, was it Squonk or Dance on Volcano? That It's one of those two. I always get it confused. When Rutherford tells the story about finding Daryl Sturmer, I believe it's hmm. I believe it's Squonk, where he says, you know, there's only one way to play Squonk, and that's straightforward. And I guess that was like a trick question that he would throw at people. I don't know, whatever. Um, Squonk was okay. The Carpet Crawlers, one of my favorites. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't think Nad had warmed up quite enough. I don't think he quite slayed it in the way that Phil and Pete did back in the day. But well, I, I'll say with, with with Squonk, you know, there 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 were just places where Nad was there, but he wasn't all there. Yeah, and and, and, and I think I think it's a song where Phil actually has to shout. And part of the appeal is 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 mm-hmm. Phil pushing himself beyond his boundaries, mm. and with another singer, you don't necessarily get quite that yeah. thing. Yeah, it's a little bit more relaxed. But it's, it seems it, it, it. I mean, it's still a just a, a wonderful, crunchy little groove underneath that thing. It oh, keeps, yeah. keeps me going. But but uh, yeah yeah, uh, uh, it didn't have the bite that we were expecting. Now, carpet crawlers. Uh, uh, I really enjoyed what. Mad does with it, but if yeah, if if you think he wasn't quite in the zone, I'll buy that. Well, I just I really have a very strong connection to the end of that song. If you think back to the infamous episode sixty six, it it was the um, mild mannered Superman in in uh, case by Kryptonite. That was that line was the key to that entire album album for me and so i i had this very strong affection to that section of the song i think the first three songs of seconds out are a little a little questionable like the start of a a, a live album i don't know but i thought carpet crawlers was great i i um i don't for whatever reason i never really remember the fact that the whole first couple choruses are so low yeah um, but I thought, yeah, I thought it was, I, I agree with you about Squonk. It seemed like it was just kind of a little shaky start, but I thought Carpet Crawlers was fantastic. It's still in my head. Nice. Carpet Crawlers create such a vivid image in my brain. It's creepy, but it's vivid. I think we already touched on the robbery, assault, and battery. I mean, did anyone else get any enjoyment out of that or... Yeah, just you, about everyone in the in the theater. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, just I mean, the on time stuff was just so delightfully present and yeah. articulate. Yeah, it's, it's not really one of my favorites. And anytime the song that I'm like, nah, I could take or leave, happens, and I see literally everyone around me in the theater getting off on it, it's like I love it. It's <laughs> just so funny. It's like Ken when Yes plays Starship Trooper. <laughs> <laughs> and then they went into Afterglow. I 
I thought Afterglow was was well done. It was it was as good as it needed to be. I think it was mm-hmm. you know it was it was big enough. It wasn't over the top. I thought Ned did a really really good job on that Ogilvy. I I yeah. really bought into what he was selling on Afterglow. I agree. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Phil, Phil just has the kind of tortured soul interpretation of it. But sure. Ned kind of took it to a soaring emotional place. Yeah. Firth of Fifth we've already discussed as well. It was just yeah. absolutely... Mm-hmm. It was elevated. It, it was... You know, it was better than... Well, I mean, I've never seen... Well, that's not true, because Genesis did part of Firth of Fifth. They didn't do, like, the whole thing. Um, and we talked on the preamble that when Steve first started doing this, and there's the live album, and um, Firth of Fifth was one of the songs that sort of got me there oh, yeah. with, with Wetton. But this was mm. just above and beyond. Yeah. That, the dynamics were so well-ingrained in the band yeah yeah I mean it was just it was disproportionately huge yeah and and it was wonderful and I'll remember the guitar and saxophone dueling you know on this song and on um well Supper's Ready but then also um later in um Dance on a Volcano yeah um but I would like to ask a question during this song, I hope you don't mind. I don't want to steer us too far off. So it was during this song that I was reminded of how, like, what a great touch that Steve Hackett has. And, you know, you read in, you know, innovative, blah, 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 whatever. It was yeah. in the hyperbole. Does Steve Hackett have his own recognizable sound? It's evolved. This is the modern version. In the clean sections, it's predictably clean and suitable for finger picking or whatever. But, you know, his signature guitar solo sound is uh, like almost twice distorted, sustaining forever, kind of a compressed sound and he's always riding that sustain he's, he's kind of yeah. hinting at feedback and he, he th- th- that was very early on that he was doing that it was just with that technology in the 70s it was kind of brutal mm. and this is the, the 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 palatable version of that the reason i asked the question is because reminding of his touch tonight I don't, I don't know enough, I admitted it in the preamble, I don't really know enough of his solo catalog that I'm, that I'm never finding myself in a, in a position where I'm hearing a song I don't know and I hear the guitar and think, you know, oh, who is that? Is it, is it Steve Howe? Is it, you know, a, a number of people that, mm-hmm. we, that mm-hmm. we talk to who have their own voice. Is it uh, is Stephen Rothery? Is it Steve Vai? Is it whatever? And I don't ever say that about Steve Hackett, and I don't know if it's just because of my own ignorance of his full catalog, or if he's just absent of a, you know, 
you know, his own his own tone. I think yeah. he played a guitar synthesizer in GTR uh, for a small period of time. Oh yeah, that that would make sense. No, I, I think he's just had a very wide range of exploration. So. Which is yeah, which is probably just as just as good, but yeah, it was cool. Well, let's say that this stage in his career, he's been very consistent. So yeah. if you were right. if you heard a live gig, you would probably know it mm. was it was him. All right. So can we get to I know what I like? Mm-hmm. Do we have to? It was like an extended version, right? Now, <clears throat> Genesis has always extended out I Know What I Like. Ah. There's no reason it needed to be 10 minutes long. It was... I feel bad because I appreciate the lore around I Know What I Like. Mm-hmm. I appreciate what it it brought to the band and that it was like Steve's first you know, big hit that he got to like you know get on a record very wonderful stuff but to me i have a love-hate relationship with i know what i like in much the same way i have with roundabout i will (laughs) i will appreciate i will acknowledge the fact that it's a it's a very well-crafted enjoyable song but i just don't need to hear it all the time Hmm. and i don't need to hear it for 10 minutes Okay, it sounded like someone sat down with the tune, but they had really been listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers for a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of like the 90s funkified version of it. It didn't and help it. <laughs> so I, I, I think I understand the logic. The original is actually quite a dirge, and it's kind of a major key dirge, but a dirge nonetheless. And if you get tired of dirging for 40 years, you might want to pick it up and, and make it a bit lighter and breezy. Sure, yeah. And, you know, more danceable. But uh, it doesn't it, need it, to be that, and it really You don't need to do that for four extra minutes. Mm. And and I, I, I think that stuff only works when there's actual dancing involved. If, you know, if, if you wanted to do that in the middle of a wedding, it would probably go over really well. But you just have a bunch of people between the ages of 40 and 70 sitting there not dancing and you're in a I, I might suggest the ages were between 50 and 70 yeah we were definitely we were definitely on the younger so, the younger I, side of the I went to the men's room and the guy in front of me turns around and he's like oh you're too young to be here <laughs> <laughs> I'm like yeah I don't know I, I'm looking at all the Abacab people and all the Duke people and I'm a Genesis people, yeah. Some, well, I'm a Gabriel person. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I think it may have been during I Know What I Like that I thought about the Barry Manilow concert and I thought this is sort of like they're distracting me from this with all these crazy lights. They're distracting Giving me, me something to watch. But I'll point out that I found, I did find while the lights were... Um, really cool i felt that they were a bit distracting because i don't know if it's because of the way that <clears throat> that venue is situated where we're so high up 
But those lights would always oh, the, sweep up to the audience. Yeah, we were they were right in our eyes. And it would always and and sometimes like you couldn't dodge them because there was like one right. was coming from stage where I let stage left and you're just like oh my god, and it was it was a little uncomfortable. At it times. was yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah it, it it you know that's why I made the comment about the efficient road show because he doesn't do the huge massive custom integrated light thing yeah you know it's 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 pretty bare bones it's nice and though it's nice and they but, the lights were moving i mean yeah it's it's, pretty, it's it was a good light show it just was distracting because it was blinding yeah. me oh the floor lights are part of his kit but i believe everything flown was house i'm just assuming yeah yeah yeah, yeah. wow yeah but I, i've become very critical of light shows it, 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 it's my bitch list it's the 40 percent kick drum and the Lights in my face. Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't want to feel like I'm in the prison yard and someone is <laughs> hunting me down. I mean, there was a lot of that tonight. So what about the lamb? How did you guys feel about the lamb? seconds out has a fundamental problem in that I need my carpet crawlers after my lamb lies down. That's fair. Mm -hmm. So you're never going to fix that. And lamb as an opener on the album, when you stick it in the middle of the set, it kind of loses some of that mojo. It's always better after an intermission or as an opener or something. Uh, but yeah, it's a good point because I mentioned it at dinner. Seconds Out as an album, I don't know if that was really the show, the order of the songs at the, you know, during that tour. Right. But that's the way they released the album. But that's the way they released the album. Right. Which, I don't think it's very good, you know, if that's, I mean, we just lived it. I, I agree with you. I don't necessarily think the order is great. And you're right. Lamb lies down, like separated by a few songs from Carpet Crawlers and happening afterwards. It's kind of not where it's at for me either. It's disconcerting. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, we're, we're a very thematic audience and we would appreciate maybe a lamb trio. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Give us, give us three tracks from the lamb in, a, in an order that makes sense for the story. But oh my god, just, just, just hearing Roger. 
play the piano and articulate that and just, just hearing the band come in together it, it was all very congealed it was like fully baked lamb it was it wasn't <laughs> fully baked it, lamb. It was, yeah fully baked lamb it, it was it wasn't the kind of like the original album has a bit of slop to it there's a bit of you know we're guys in a room jamming feel to it hmm. and this was a much more grown-up presentation yeah. you know it's funny when we talk about the the studio version and and steve hackett's tone right he's got a raunchy tone on that yeah that studio version which he didn't he didn't have tonight yeah right and, and maybe that's part of what i'm missing you know that's why it maybe sounds a little staid in my hmm. opinion because it's not as raunchy yeah for all of those reasons and maybe more it was a bit of a snoozer then we got the short musical box interlude, which, you know, absolutely wonderful. And, you know, I shouldn't complain. It, it, the, the, here's the, the twisted perspective. Oh, they start with She's a Lady? Is yeah. That it? I, yeah. Mean, I mean, come on. That, just hearing that part makes everyone in the room light up. But, yeah, it just, you know, I'm, I'm a spoiled prog head. So three minutes of a song isn't enough for me. Okay. I want the rest of it. Okay. Whereas, you know, there are people I know that are like, why are all these songs like six and seven mm -hmm. minutes? And I'm like, that's a short one. You don't get the evolution of the character. You, you don't, yeah. I, you don't, it, without the beginning, the setup for the loony old man at the end doesn't yeah, work. Right. You just have the weird touch me, touch me, touch me. And you're like, oh, I don't really think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. And then we got the main event. Oh. Ah, yes. Supper's ready. I, it was as good as I possibly could have hoped for. Good, ah, good, yes. good. I mean, I was, I was wrapped, honestly. Did you guys hear the count-in? Craig mm -hmm. did, like, like mm -hmm. these whoosh-blahs. <laughs> Two whoosh-blahs to get them in. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. I want to say, um, cause, because in the... In the pre-show, Paul, we were talking about we wanted, you wanted Steve to get solo for five minutes at the end. Now, my unofficial recording mm -hmm. lasted 27 minutes and 10 seconds. Wow. So if the original is about 24 minutes, give or take, you only got an extra three minutes of soloing. Sorry. And it may have been a, a minute too long. Um, <laughs> but you know like there there was a moment where he was wailing and then he would he would do the harmony with um sax. the sax and then go back to wailing and he just he pulled off just these terrific sounds and licks and whatever and the place erupted with applause and that would have been a great time for him to end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and then he just yeah, kind of went yeah, on yeah, for like yeah, another yeah. minute or so. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Okay. But I, I, you know, but I was like, <laughs> it, it also, it is kind of funny because there was a, like, there was a extra wanking going on. But, you know, it is kind of funny. This, you know, this long 20 minute epic. And, you know, basically it's all just a prelude to him, you know, <laughs> with the outro solo. But I was totally satisfied that he uh, he took that liberty because it's his show and he should. He's center stage. He can do what he wants. Yeah. And, and he really, he seemed to really kind of get off on that oh, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was, um, brought back to, do you remember, you guys remember when we were doing the episode on Supper's Ready and there was that, some sort of Scandinavian. Oh, the Tadmobile. Yeah. The Tadmobile show. Or Tadmobile. Whatever. And where he performed and I want to say he was, he he was, he was kind of cut loose and and feeling himself on that as well. Yeah. It it made me, it, it hearkened me back to that. Good, good, good. Good. Um, um, that, that's a very emotional part for me. Um, I always wanted to be able to run a 5K in the space of Supper's Ready. Oh. But I have to use a live version. <laughs> you need I'm, those extra couple minutes? And I'm always coming up short because I'm not as fast as I'm trying to be. So <laughs> one, one day, one day I will finally run a... Maybe um, this could be it. Maybe take yeah, Joe's yeah, recording. Yeah, yeah, you'll, be, yeah, you'll be all yeah, set. Yeah. I won't actually be any faster, but I'll feel better about it. That's right. Yes. That's right. I, I mean, all the parts were there. All the parts were done well. And that did, a, you know, we'll listen to the to the, the recording later on. But I thought he did a, a fantastic job. I believed all of it. Yeah. Um, but we know your hypothesis on Supper's Ready, that you can have different singers, but, but, but no one is going to get the first half... And the well, second and, half. And the second half. You're yep. either going to yeah. be a first half guy or a second half yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Is Nab the first half guy or the second half guy? He's the first half guy. Phil's the only second half guy. Wow. I mean, I... Wow. I forget. Is the seconds out the definitive version? Yes. yes. For you? Okay. Yes. Uh, For all of us. Because okay. of that. So the bar was pretty high. The bar was pretty high, but I was completely 100% satisfied yeah. um, with with what I experienced tonight. Who's the best Willow Fox? It was funny because I remember when we did that episode, I felt that Nad was a little too over the top with it, but I thought he was very controlled tonight when okay. when they got to Willow Farm, and I thought it was absolutely delightful. So I don't know if he's changed his approach or what, but I thought Willow Farm was 100% enjoyable tonight. Yeah. It's funny. The, the audience always says a flower too yeah. soon. Right? They, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Rob Townsend was determined to cue it 
And no one paid attention. No one paid attention. They just blew right ahead. <laughs> I always feel like every photograph, every video, every picture I've ever seen of Nad, he's always wearing a white, puffy shirt. Yeah. And he was all in black tonight. He was all in black. Which was different. Tall gentleman. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very tall gentleman. Well, that's part of the ethos, too, that being so tall, you wouldn't want him towering over Steve, so... So put him in the back? Yeah. yeah. Forced perspective. Interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I I, I don't... I really don't have much to say about um, Supper's Ready, because it was just exactly what I wanted, what I came here for. I enjoyed well, the fact that the um, so Jonas was playing sort of a Paul Reed Smith with that's where a, I was going yeah, yeah. piezo and it sounded like there was a twelve string you know kind of effect on it mm-hmm. and sounded like Steve Hackett had the same type of effect on their yeah. electrics which I thought sounded really good and controlled and it was very cool I was I was I was I never really thought about it before but he really didn't play the bass for very much of Supper's Ready. Yeah. There were parts where I thought that he was, and it was actually Roger playing yeah. bass on a keyboard. Yeah. 
But he got some of the coolest, you know, acoustic parts, you know, which was really fun to watch. I mean, what a lucky guy to be able to play guitar on Supper's Ready with the original guitarist on Supper's Ready. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's a good thing all these bass players started out as guitar players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but he got to, you know, he got to really enjoy himself on the bass on some of Mike's better lines as well throughout this show. Yeah. He also had that wicked cool dual necked yeah. bass and guitar. Yeah. He played mostly that when I saw him. There okay. Was a lot of that dual neck stuff on the Selling England tour. It's a shop for something like that. That sound that looks like something fun. No I, reason whatsoever to get that. But should 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 we throw Jonas the MVP? Is he is he kind of shining or is it just such a good band you can't even possibly I think the band is just so good. I mean, I'd, I'd give my vote to Craig, but you can vote for Jonas all you want. Okay. You know, I, I, I love the enthusiasm that Jonas had for all of the stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes bass players are just, like, boring to watch. And he was, you know, the switching and the chair and the bass pedals and the singing every now and then. And, you know, there was one time where he, like, was sitting and he didn't have anything to play. And he was like air drumming along with yeah, Craig. It I was saw so that. fun. It was, was so that fun. in Supper's Ready? Where, where in the hell was that? I don't know. It may have been Supper's Ready because he was sitting down. So, I don't recall. But yeah, it was just, it was so much fun to see him like so juiced and just having fun playing, you well, know? I, I, I thought the first time I saw them, Townsend did more backing vocals, but this time clearly the primary backing vocalist was Jonas. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I thought he was wonderful in the vocal department. Yeah. Related to what we've talked about recently, but not directly related to, to the yeah. point you just made, and I think I may have made this when we talked about live mind crime. One of the things I absolutely love about mind crime at the Moor is Eddie Jackson is always singing Tate's lines throughout oh, that show yeah yeah like he's he's not at the mic right but he's, he's singing he's along. so yeah, into yeah, it he's he just singing along every yeah every word yeah it's like a steve harris thing it right it's kind of cool right right yeah. right 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 yeah yeah i but, love that i love that about steve harris that's okay. cool yeah so supper's ready there's been some poo-pooing if i recall correctly and i might be wrong of apocalypse in nine eight in this group how did we feel that went off tonight Oh, well, it was a big revelation for me uh, because I could see the way Jonas was playing the acoustic guitar and tapping his foot. I could finally understand the pattern and understand why it's in 9-8. Um, uh, you know, I still might question, you know, what we're doing with the with the time signatures. But, it, you know, there's nine beats. Okay. Okay. Whether they're eighth notes or not, I don't know. Um, I, I, I thought the section was... Awesome. They completely delivered Supper's Ready, that that, that yeah. part including and it was one it was wonderful to see it. Sure as eggs is, is that the last section? Um I think so, yeah. Oh, I thought he was just fantastic right there. Yeah, let, I'll let it go. I mean, there's no way our, our talking can make it any better. It's just Yeah, it just it was exemplary. It was it, again, it, it it's why I came here and it was worth every mm. every moment every penny they finished up the first set essentially with the cinema show rolling into isle of plenty 
Ken, you said they did this same sort of thing with... Um, the Selling England. Yeah. I like the cinema show a lot. classic tracks i wasn't thrilled with it rolling into isle of plenty personally i I would have been happier if they had just you know finished up with cinema show but i guess when you've got the band primed to play it you may as well Mm -hmm. throw it in there i don't know i always forget how much i like cinema show yeah so and then the encore dance on a volcano was great yeah but I was already annoyed that they went off stage because I knew they were going to come back. And they didn't really take a long time. Though. You got they went yeah. off stage. They came back, and then it's like, you know, we had a good focused set, and now it's wank time. <laughs> Great, just what I need. I mean, Los Santos is already self-indulgent to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate, you know, one of the key components of Seconds Out is the drum duet. Double jerk off. Great. Wonderful. But it's a Steve Hackett show. And as much as I have a man crush on Craig Blundell, there's absolutely no reason why Craig Blundell should be soloing <laughs> on this show. 
I'm sorry. It's completely hmm. unnecessary, and it annoyed the fuck out of me. Wow. Oh, no. Oh, no. I agree with you. It was completely unnecessary. It really seemed misplaced. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, you know. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did not. Yeah. I. It's not every day I say I enjoy drum solo, but I really enjoyed some of the, the, um, you know, some of his technical prowess that he put on display is some of the work with the cymbals and the hi-hats and the, and um, I don't know if they're like, uh, I forget what they're called. The, I forget the little tiny cymbals that barely ring. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I popped the snare off and did some stuff. I, he, you know, he just, yeah, I mean, he... at, at the end of a show to put on that kind of display of skill and talent, I just found it to be impressive, and but I agree with you. It was completely unnecessary. Well, how about you go Where through the... an entire show without any jerking off, and at the end on the encore that oh. didn't need to be an encore? Now we're going to let him. Jerk I think off? there was a little bit of jerking off prior to that. Well, there was some sax and bass back and forth. There was a couple of extra long solos that that climaxed it well it was long it was yeah we had an extra four minutes of i know what i like a little bit of wanking going on sorry ken i didn't i didn't mean to step how about when the whole band came back in that was hot thank you sure great i but but you could have cut that drum solo in half and had the same effect you could have cut it down to a third and had the same effect (laughs) okay yeah a quarter would have been acceptable into the the drum pattern and then he just like popped Mm -hmm. and man everyone was on their feet after that it was it was it was a good moment it was a good moment so maybe they'll hire you as a lean (laughs) (laughs) consultant 
stop shining the lights in everybody's face and get the rid of that fucking drum solo. <laughs> Can we talk about and and not to not to to poo poo this whole concert because the concert was absolutely delightful. I'm just amused. There's something about you know members of or former members of Genesis, with the exception of Peter Gabriel. Do they just not give a shit about making an entrance? They have the absolute lamest entrances and exits I've ever seen of anyone. Like, at the end of the show, after it was all said and done, Hackett sat down. He sat on a chair. Yeah. In the middle of the stage, like... I I wasn't sure if that was... So, I couldn't tell if he was feigning exhaustion (laughs) or, or just overwhelmed... You know, feigning, I, oh, I'm so overwhelmed by the crowd, or if it was real. Or you just wanted to sit down for a minute. Because it seemed like, yeah, everybody <laughs> on the stage wasn't sure whether they should help him off, or or if they should just... Because everyone did kind of seem like they were just kind of waiting for him to make a move. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. There was an <clears throat> element of that that did kind of seem real. Like, like hey, he's... Like lightheaded, yeah. legitimately lightheaded, yeah. and and then and then he didn't necessarily specify if it was real or fake, and then he said, "We're going to improvise a bow that wasn't rehearsed." And right, yeah. That was, and I think that's just Steve. I mean, he, he he does a lot of meet and greets. I think he's kind of informal with his fans. He yeah, is is like Barry Manilow had some spotters on the catwalk, right? Things like that. So I did, I wasn't sure if you know. That discomfort on by you know by like Nad and Craig were like like were they really like was he was he gonna fall <laughs> over were they they, they were gonna like catch him yeah, yeah. yeah. catch him <laughs> yeah. you know like but uh, yeah. it was it was charming nonetheless uh, you know whatever I, I just I enjoyed the show so much and I just there were several very glaring aspects of the encore section that hmm. just did not sit well with me. But I'm a cranky old man, so the rest of the crowd seemed to enjoy it just fine. So You don't mind walking around for a week with Los Endos in your head? No, absolutely not. I can never listen to Los Endos without Part- thinking of that quote from Rutherford's book when he was explaining, you know, the end of, of that particular show. And You'll have to remind me. Yeah, so he was, he was explaining, because they were all juiced up, because, you know, you end the show on the instrumental, so you've got both drummers going and you got the whole light show. And Rutherford was explaining this to someone, and they're like, so wait a second, you finish your show with no one on center stage? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Mike's like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think some of the Wankfest in there, I think he slid in one of his uh, newer songs mm-hmm. in there too. That so, so some some of the excessive wanking actually was a real song. Yes, that would be so, slogans. Apparently. So yeah. What are the takeaways? Because I want to go back and hear every day in its original recording because that's uh, an interesting one. That's true. That definitely, I think, was. I don't know that I had a... I think Every Day was probably the, the most enjoyable or my, probably maybe the most memorable of the of, his solo material. of the first set. But I, I liked everything. And the very last one, I think that was Shadow of the Hierophant. Yeah. Um, I just really, really enjoyed that 
composition, the rhythmic play of it. It's just like a three, four happening spread out through that thing. I mean, I just remember him opening with clocks before. It's just become kind of an epic beginning. Yeah, is there anything that you guys will go back and listen to? Any original recordings or anything on Seconds Out that you're keen to fast forward to? I definitely, I want to I want to hear every day um, in the original recording world. And um, I'm definitely going to uh, revisit some of these uh some of these tracks and and um and like i said i listened to the his newest release and i really liked my first listen through so i'm gonna definitely go back and do that seconds out i i i've listened to seconds out a lot even before we had decided to do this it was on my phone for a while and so when i would take my nightly walks i would just you know, play parts of it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, so I don't need to listen to that. And it maybe it's because this set list is so selling England heavy. I'm inspired to go home and pull that out mm. when I get home. Nice. I'm honored that you would come and join us. Oh, are you kidding? This is the best. <laughs> I love, um, you know, and that was, that was honestly the worst thing about the pandemic is that it, it stopped us from seeing shows together, which makes me sad. And so, you know, this is a couple now we've gotten to, to see in, you know, a relatively short span of time. So it makes me happy. And uh, appreciate, you know, you guys, uh, you know, getting this together and allowing me to kind of come and crash the party as it were. And uh, yeah, so we'll see where this takes us. Um, Steve doesn't show any signs of stopping anytime soon. And, uh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So until our next special concert series adventure, gentlemen, I will wish you a fond evening. And as always, thank you for the wonderful memories. Cheers. Cheers. episode of progressive Lever. as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and we look forward to your thoughts comments feedback and questions you can reach us on facebook instagram or twitter we are at prog paula on all of those or search for progressive palaver you're welcome to email us our email address is prog paula that's p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a at gmail.com progressive palaver is available for subscription and download on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify pandora or presumably wherever you find your podcasts and we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>